Good morning and welcome to Sport and Life with Sam Kekovich and Leon Wigard. Sam, good morning. Good morning, Leon, and uh, Happy New Year. Uh, Long first. time. I tell you what, it's the uh, the festive season is well and truly over and you look well. You haven't put any... Uh, I've had uh, my uh, dose of COVID. No. Oh, yes. How are you feeling? I've got well. well. It takes a while to get over it. Apparently, uh, but you know, you've done, you, you were one of the lucky ones, so... It's amazing. They all say now that uh, you can recover very quickly, and then you see the odd case that's uh, unfortunately, you know, taking longer or at the very worst scenario, as we know, deaths are still occurring. Our um, mutual friend Jerry Ryan uh, took ages to overcome it. He, uh, he he gave me a lot of confidence, really, that it, it, it takes you two or three weeks after your week that you spend. That you spend, yeah. Then, then recovery. You can attend. Uh, take two or three weeks after. He looked terrible for a couple of days. I watched him, but I think he had a couple of contributing factors to COVID too, I think. A couple of those late night festivities and he was imbibing in a bit of libation uh, on that <laughs> Mitchelton print, I think. <laughs> well, I've got happy bad news on that. Happy and sad news. Uh, a good mate of mine, Kim Luff, who was a water pie player, a rower of uh, international standing, a coach and a good golfer. He died. Yeah, uh, uh, last Sunday week of COVID, yeah, and uh, and uh, another friend, Roger Brown, who is the chairman of ARB, the Four Wheel Drive people. Um, he's been very, very ill in hospital, and uh, I spoke to him this morning. He's okay. Well, let's keep our fingers crossed that we might be on a downward trend now in the curve. Well, I would. Now we lost <coughs> Scotty Palmer since our last podca- podcast. No, we did. Gee, uh, was what an iconic, uh, great Australian Scotty Palmer, and one of the most. Uh, uh, affable, laconic, and positive, and positive, and self-deprecating. One of the great, one of the great traits of Scott Palmer. He had the capacity of laughing at himself. He was a, a mixture of, uh, I think you'd go back to Lou Richards, uh, throw in a few other guys, diarisms, uh, yeah, uh, Bobby yeah. Davis. He had all that together. All yeah. of those. <laughs> Look, I regard him as the most flawed individual from that point of view, <laughs> from a commentary point of view. But at the end of the day, he was entertainment personified. You oh, couldn't well. help but keep punching. He was all over the place. He had no idea. He would, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but it was just compelling viewing. And you couldn't help but love Scott Palmer. He's legend down at uh, uh, Sereno Footy Club. Oh, and you're down there soon. I am on their opening game, April the 9th, I think it is, that I'll be uh, performing. And there'll be no doubt a, uh, a very uh, prominent tribute paid to the great Scott Palmer. And his lovely wife, Lorraine, too. And uh, been a strong they'll, they'll make mention of Albert Mantello, no doubt. Of uh, Albert, too. He's a local... Uh, uh, a local uh, down there at Sorrento for a long time, uh, the great Albert Mantello, who passed away probably a month prior to that. Now, I guess today it's quite topical, really, because uh, uh, today is the, the last, I think, of the England-Australian Women's Test Series, uh, which is not a test series, it's a one-day series. And yeah, tests it's, a, and, it's a dog's breakfast, isn't well, it? Well, they've done that on purpose, I think, for some reason. But ODIs, three tests, two, yeah, yeah. two volleyball games, a game of basketball, <laughs> and then you finish with a game of agates. And then they... And then toss-up at the Remember end. the toss-up? <laughs> Did you ever play agates at school? Remember you had the red... Oh, no, we the didn't blood. agates. Yonnies. Uh, no, yonnies were stones. Yeah. Agates were marbles. 
And you had the big tombola, it was a big one, you know, you used to blow them out of the ring. And I used to wear those thongs, you know, they had crevices in the in the sole. I used to walk over the ring and about 14 would stick on the sole. <laughs> and everyone would be chasing me. He said, you walk, get back here, you pitch for marbles, get back. <laughs> and you've lost your sense. Oh, I had the biggest sack of marbles and I used to be the king of the kids. I'll trade two bloods for a, uh, no, you won't. <laughs> Anyhow, where were we, Leo? <laughs> uh, we're about to introduce our guest today. Our guest today is Sean Graff, who is a... Fine all-rounder on his day in cricket uh, and uh, an administrator of note. Uh, 25 years, I think, it's been running uh, Victorian cricket and uh, he's announced his retirement. He's still on the job now and uh, he joins us, I think, from Adelaide. He is indeed. We find him well uh, awake and well, I presume. Morning, Sean. Yeah, I'm Morning, gents. Yes, I'm awake. I'm uh, actually overlooking Glenelg Beach as we speak. Uh, the boys are uh, heading up to training in an hour or so, but uh, very pleasant over here in uh, downtown sunny Glenelg. I presume we're at the, we're at the penthouse of the Grand, are we? Uh, oh, yes. No, no, no. We're just up from the Grand. We're uh, in apartments, but it's quite a nice uh, little apartment with a balcony overlooking the water, so can't complain, Sam. Now, uh, before we get into the nitty-gritty... Uh, being an old pom yourself, I think you were in uh, Hampshire there for a while. Uh, in the 80s, you spent a bit of time there. You went back uh, later on. Uh, any uh, calls from uh, the old dad in terms of coaching the side who at the moment uh, <laughs> is seeking a bit of uh, revitalisation? Yeah, no, I think they're uh, they're doing a full review, no doubt, uh, like everyone does when they have a few uh, losses or a bad loss. and. Uh, Luckily for Leon, they didn't do a lot of reviews back in those days with Fitzroy. He would have been doing one every second week. But, uh, uh, hey, listen, don't pop the, the boss here, I'm telling you. <laughs> I think uh, I think the Pobs have got a little bit of work to do. No doubt they'd be uh, the Stillwood, who, who is their co- present coach. I think he'd be under a fair bit of pressure. But uh, I, keep, I do get um, Langer's name as being bandied around as someone that they would consider. I saw Andrew Strauss or Matherman mentioned that the other day. So, uh, yeah, they've... they've uh, it's an interesting situation, though, where everyone thinks uh, they're completely shot, you know, they're useless, they're, you've got to do a review, we've got to change it. I think they're the number one T20 team outside of, you know, they didn't win the World Cup, but they've been very much uh, ranked up high. And I think they're up very high in the one-day rankings as well. Uh, and their test rankings, even though it's, I think they're at four, it's the fact that they've beaten, you know, the old enemies, knocked them over. Um, but I'm, uh, I, I think that it can be a little bit overreaction and... Uh, Obviously, with uh, Giles, their cricket director, being uh, removed, I think Silver will be feeling a little bit touchy at the moment, wondering what's going on. But uh, I can see them going down the line of, you know, maybe looking at someone like a Langer um, to put that bit of tough disciplinarian type uh, culture in, the, in place and then uh, see where they take them from there. Sure, no, over the period of uh, administration that you've had, uh, over 25 years, uh, you've seen a few uh, resurrections, if you like, in Victorian cricket, Australian cricket. Uh, what's it take? Is it one person that leads the way? Is it a overall cultural thing? Is it uh, things get out of hand? Or what yeah, happens I, I to think, these sides? I think you've got to have a strong, strong leader. I think you appoint someone that's a, a strong sort of leader of men, a coach uh, or, or women, for that matter. Um, and you have, uh, you certainly need to have someone support. In, in my time, in the, the nearly 28 years I've been in, in the role, um, 
the fact that I've had some coaches that I've pointed that I think have changed the direction of where the group are going and, and you get some success, I think, because they are able to mould a group and, and get them playing with all the right values and what we are, and, 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 the, and the reason why we play the game is to, you're trying to, you always want to win, but to enjoy it as well. And and, uh, and I think you know, Johnny Scholes, you both would remember him, Sam. You remember I, just wrote, um, I just wrote his name down. I, I, yeah, I think yeah, he, well, he, he's, yeah, when I pointed at him, uh, he wasn't your um, stereotype coach that Cricket Victoria, you know, they wanted the, the more high profile, but Beryl was such a, a great club player and uh, obviously played league football as well at Indeed. North. And uh, he was a real strong um, team man uh, and really moulded a team. And he didn't get the reward at the end, unfortunately, because um, of his body and uh, other other things, complications came into being. And, uh, you know, he, he left the scene, but we were starting to get very competitive. We played in a couple of Shield finals, got done by Queensland, a very contru- controversial one where Klingon caught a ball, third slip, not given. Uh, Stuart Lord stayed on and they, they got through the, the, the Shield final and won it, which was uh, very disappointing. But we won a one-day title under Barrel. And he started the process of uh, re, re, I suppose, revitalising state cricket in the minds of the public because you know, it can get lost, as you well know, within the football regime in Victoria. And uh, we, we wanted to be have a, we're a very proud state in the cricket sense. And uh, he sort of gave back a bit of that, uh, that, that, that really, really good culture around team and, and you know, what we play for. And it's the, the best competition in the state uh, in, and in the land. You know, state competition is such a tough, uh, the Shield's such a tough comp. And fortunately from there, that's when uh, I, I spent a fair bit of time uh, cajoling David Hooks across. And uh, and Hooksy was the sort of the person who I, I think was the catalyst that gave us you know, a chance to have a, a pretty good winning run over a long period of time now. Uh, he, he was just a, a, a really good community, tough, tough, hard, but fair, and, uh, and really had a good understanding. I can still remember... Took me about six months to get him over the line because if you remember, Leon, he was doing Fox Sport, he was doing AW, uh, he had all these other uh, commitments in media, and he said, "Well, how could I do? How could I do coaching Victoria?" And I said, "Look, don't worry about that side of things. What we'll do is you put up a hurdle, and every time we put one up, I'll get, I'll jump over it, and we'll work it out. And by the end, it'll be no more hurdles left, and the finishing post will be there, and away we go." So we did that for about six months in a little coffee shop in Swan Street. And we're upstairs, sort of uh, behind closed doors type of thing, uh, and, and worked it out and eventually got him across the line. And he changed the whole attitude to how Victorian cricket played. Like, his his attitude of win at all costs, he was, he, he was a very uh, aggressive uh, player, a very aggressive coach. And he really showed uh, yeah, a lot of our players uh, the ability to win from any position, and that was highlighted by a win we had up in Newcastle where we chased down 450 in, in, in uh, second innings against uh, McGill and Lee and, and, and Clark and these sort of guys. And so that gave us great belief, and I suppose that's they're the sort of people that you've got to have on board and they've got to give that direction uh, to be able to then get success. And then Greg Schubert came along, who's highly professional. He's still showing how good he is with his work in the T20 world. Uh, and he just, uh, he really came in behind Hooksy and kept that process going. And, and we've had a you know, really good success across the last 15 years of uh, a lot of titles. Sean, uh, we're doing this a bit back to front because we wanted to talk about Sean Graff. Initially, uh, how it all began, how it started and uh, got to where you've got to now. But now we're doing the back end. Let's keep going this, on this uh, particular topic. Why is it now in the contemporary world that people like yourself, you know, uh, boards and uh, you appointed coaches and you could see a direction and it was uh, fairly seamless. 
you saw what you wanted, you had your meetings, and you made a decisive decision. Where, you know, you see the 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 the, uh, the absolute dog's breakfast that it is today. Why is it the governing bodies, and it's not only in, not only in cricket, we see it in tennis, we see it in all sports. Governing bodies have difficulty making decisions. They find themselves in a catch-22 situation and they're a laughingstock. Why is it that all of a sudden they're, they're, uh, their authority has somehow been compromised? They've lost the direction. Where's it all gone wrong? Why can't we have the old-fashioned, you know, you know, boardroom or a, or a great leader or a strong leader to make those decisions? I think, I think it's a sign of the times, uh, uh, Sam, sign of the world. We've gone into this transparent world where you can't make a decision. You've got to actually consult every Tom, Dick and Harry, the person who walks down the street, the person who's in the cafe, the person in the pub, and you come along and eventually they come up with a decision. And usually that takes so much time that a lot of the issues that you've got in place have festered and next minute it's run out of control. You know, I, I've often said that the only way you want to run a democratic society is having a dictator running it, and uh, and unfortunately they don't do that anymore. And uh, we, we tend to be very much uh, uh, want a general consensus that uh, that you the decision's right, everyone ticks it off, and eventually we we go ahead. So yeah, it's almost it's almost it's almost sure you, just, you're right. You need yeah. a benevolent dictator, but more importantly, you know what? You look at right across the board, the players everywhere have got far too much to say. You know, admittedly, consulting the players and getting their views, you know, might be a part of the package, a small amount. But at the end of the yeah. day, you know, I look at I look at the Langer situation. And I find it quite farcical for a guy that has extracted him from the mire out of after the uh, after the, uh, the the farce at South Africa. He's taken him to a T20 World Cup. He's taken him to the Ashes series victory, and all of a sudden, you know, they've sat down for eight hours. You know, mulling over a decision—not not over a decision—mulling over how to uh, how to set up a set up a uh, uh, an initiative whereby it's almost impossible for him to sign the papers. Yeah, look, I, I fully understand. I thought you know his early uh, early work when he got appointed and uh, and turned you know basically the sink was, the, the ship was sinking and he turned it around. Uh, brought in some strong measures around uh, behaviour and that around the side, the, uh, tried to change the culture, and I think... So what? Going in, go on, Sam. So what? I mean, so that's, that's, his, that's his job. Yeah, exactly right. And and so what he did is he, he uh, he's done that very well, but then what's, what's happened is, uh, what can happen a lot of times is uh, you've got someone who is quite intense and... Uh, you, you, a lot of those type of coaches do have used by days sitting on their forehead, unfortunately, and uh, and then the player power comes into play. Since the since the unions, they've had a lot more since we've had a union. Uh, the ACA have been involved in the game since '97. Their players do have a lot more say, and uh, and you know yourself in football, especially where the coach goes, the players don't go. They've always it's always sacking something to do with the fact the players have been you know played poorly and letting down, let the person down. And I, I think in this case, what's happened is the first couple of years uh, was it, it was des- it was designed for him to get in there, create a new culture, and and really be disciplined. Um, and then as they're getting the wins and uh, everything seems to be going a lot better, the players can't. You know, after a couple of years of this discipline, they found it it's, it's a bit too uh, confined. Uh, it's sort of it was one of these things that they found that was controlling them too much, all this type of thing, and therefore they go in and, and they try and change the way it is. Now I. I think normally what happens in that situation, you might have two or three players who maybe 
a little bit uh, disenchanted. So they're the ones that actually you've got to talk to and get them across the line. I think in this case, though, it certainly sounds, not that I'm privy to it, but it certainly sounds that a lot more, and, and most of the senior players were certainly uh, very, very uh, keen to make a change. And they certainly didn't back him in any stage in any of the press releases, which was really disappointing. And I think for someone that's been a great little cricketer for Australia and yeah. always been a winner, and for someone who's done all the right things by winning, as you say, the Ashes, the World Cup, he's had help that he stood back a bit, which showed that he was prepared to listen. Uh, he let his assistants run a lot of those programs during that period of time. But I think it was just the simple fact that if he hasn't got those senior players, and the fact that the, you know the captain didn't come out and give him a you know a, a, glor- a glowing uh, uh, sort of reference, that was uh, pathetic. It just made it nearly impossible to continue. That was pathetic, and it, and all it does really it makes a mockery of Australian cricket and Australian uh, the administration of Australian cricket. You know, people yeah. you know people have really got their backs up. You know, but not only in cricket, you see it elsewhere, you know, where, where they're indecisive. You know, they're almost, uh, they're almost knee-jerk reaction. They're almost straw-polling a decision. What's, what's, you know, what's popular for the day? And then they'll, you know, vote accordingly. But anyhow, let's yeah. move on, Leon. I'll tell you what we'll do, uh, Sean and uh, Sam. We'll get John Wiley, who was the recently, well, uh, he was recently uh, uh, gonged by the... Uh, Australia Day uh, uh, Awards. Yep. Um, again, uh, he was the immediate past president of Olympic. the Sports Commission. Sports Commission, yeah. And uh, of course, uh, and he had a, a great competitor in John Coates, uh, but he's a, a man who ne- really knows his way around sport. Now, we'll have to break this thing, this conversation up into parts, though, because one was how do these big organisations run and how do they the governing bodies, their boards of directors, get elected uh, and how effective are they? So that's where Wiley can come into it. On this other business of the players having too much to say, well, I've seen that in my own time. Uh, In a lifetime, I've seen that change. From when I was at the Fitzroy thirds and seconds and all that sort of stuff as a player, you just did what you were told. You were put in the bench and as a water pie player, yeah, you were just there, and the blokes with the suits and the and the blazers on. They sat up the front of the plane, and now that was what we were brought up believing was the way it was done. That's all changed now. Where these guys, I, I I really blame the players in a way. You know, they they can't cop what they're given. Yeah. Uh, now, all right, what happens if they're given someone who's bad? They're supposed to sit there and cop that. So I'd, there's some dis- some discussions got to be had at a high level on how that works too, but who who's the person to go to? But my argument is the one constant, or the one constant that's always prevalent, is, and it's sacrosanct. They would play for nothing, as we would have, to represent the club or the nation. That is above everything else. If you were to say to a player, I don't care who it is, Pat Cummins or whoever, who might be on two million dollars, say, listen. I'm going to take half your salary away or you're not going to get a salary, but, you know, would you play for your country? The driving force is always to be a part in representing your country, far bigger than the monetary rewards or anything like we like we were. And that is the one constant. Now, I know times have changed, and I know player power, and I know manager power, and half the problem are these third parties. These managers that have become involved, and they have pay you know, get in the minds of these players and negotiate. Oh, and as Sean said, the associations, the yeah. other players. Are so, I mean, the, the AFL, 
they they rejected a uh, an AFL Players Association for years and years and yeah. years in my time. I remember they did. Uh, Lindsay Fox was one, uh, you know, that uh, was involved with all that. So, Sean, uh, going back to you, um, there's no real easy answer for all of this. It needs more discussion. Uh, it's certainly out in the open now, isn't it? Yeah, look, I think it, uh, you know, it's, they'll, uh, there'll be discussion at, at higher levels at uh, Cricket Australia. They've still got to go through getting a chairman of the board. Uh, they've got a CEO in Nick Hockley, who's a former Englishman who uh, was worked the World Cup in, in an operational sense. He's now the CEO, and he's he's had to come in in a fairly interesting time and, and try and navigate his way through and make the right calls. And uh, being uh, being new to the system, he's obviously has to consult with a lot of people, and I think that's where a little bit of the... Uh, the, the, at times, some of the indecision might be uh, brought about because of the fact he's learning the caper and understanding the whole uh, politics of cricket. And as we all know, there's that much politics in sport and you've got to know how to actually manage it. And sometimes it can take a little bit of time. Uh, I, I, when you mentioned Johnny Wiley, he's a good man and uh, I really like him and I agree. He's someone that I reckon would be great to be involved in cricket. I think he's got a really good understanding of it, strong voice very sensible, uh, sound background in business and uh, and understanding sport off the field. And I think uh, he would be a very wise choice uh, to maybe be involved in some capacity at Cricket Australia. And I think uh, they'd be stupid not to actually tap into that sort of talent. Sean, in your time uh, in administration, or we'll get around to your playing days in a minute, but uh, the creation of the, what you've got at the Junction Oval must have been one of your highlights. Yeah, look, it's, it took uh, it took about twelve years to get that up and running. Um, we went through uh, we went through uh, one government, the Brumby government, didn't expect them to get done, and then uh, and then I think uh, Ted Bailey, when he was in the chair as a premier, was going to give it full support, and uh, he got ousted. So uh, eventually, when uh, Dan Andrews came along and they won the election, they uh, they saw the vision of the reason why we needed to have our own base. Um, the MCG, as uh, most people know, is more an event venue now. It, it's a host all the AFL games, but you've got you know got cricket, you've got everything else, concerts, the works, and it just became very difficult. And we also knew, from a cricket point of view in this state, that football wanted to have uh, access to the MCG by mid-March to be able to play their blockbuster opening games and be able to fit in maybe two two buys as well. Um, so the negotiation came about and gave us uh, a burning bridge in some ways towards the back end of that 12 years, uh, a real reason why we needed to you know, possibly have an alternative venue and a training base so that uh, it frees up the ground to allow you know the, the, round, the first early rounds of football to come in and, and the big crowds to come in and, and obviously the MCC benefits from that. Uh, so we did did a lot of uh, discussion. We looked at a lot of different venues uh, throughout Victoria. We looked at the Greenfield site out at the airport. We looked at uh, out there the old Springvale footy ground out there on Springvale Road. Um, uh, we, we had a, it was the old Waverley football club in those days, I think it was. Sykes was the captain coach, I think. Leon, what in those days? Guy called Sykes, if I remember correctly. The old Fitzroy player. Waverley in the second division of VFO. We looked at those two grounds and eventually we, uh, we came up with uh, the Junction Oval because at that point in time, St Kilda were uh, in a little bit of trouble uh, financially off the field. They needed help. It just looked like it was a perfect opportunity for us to go in, uh, help to negotiate, get them uh, up and running, but also meant we could take over the ground and the, and the full lease. Uh, the Melbourne, Melbourne Cricket Club had had it for a long time and they'd moved away from there. They'd developed uh, the ground to a certain extent to be able to play some shield cricket, but we wanted to develop so it was a, uh, a training base 
state-of-the-art training base and also an alternative venue. So we went down the track. Luckily for us, um, the Andrews government saw the vision that we, we had and we were able to put that in place. And so Tony Dottomade and myself uh, spent a couple of years working with uh, the architects, working with uh, uh, the various people involved in the construction, um, and eventually we come up with a design that seemed to, that suited that, that uh, small area. It was quite a... It's quite a small block now. If you remember, Leon, the old days, they used to have all out the back there, used to be all asphalted, and that's where the ticket boxes were. And yeah. it was quite a large area now. It's it's actually shrunk a fair bit with all the all the trees that are in there now. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the Greens uh, have obviously got involved. They'll save Albert Park, and they want to make a beautiful parkland. And uh, and it, it's a beautiful outlook. It looks, looks great, but we, the footprint of the ground is a lot smaller. So we had to build something that was uh, suitable for us, but it was it was fairly tight. So fortunately for us, we've been able to uh, get that build uh, built. We've been able to uh, look after the Blackie Ironmonger stand, which is one of the original stands uh, from the St Kilda Career Club point of view, and, uh, and, and renovate that fully as well. And we've done a, a fair bit of work on the exterior of the old Kevin Murray stand, and uh, we're looking to actually uh, redevelop underneath that shortly as well. And then obviously uh, we, we want to talk to uh, the stakeholders and everyone else around the areas we uh we're certainly under a lot of pressure from uh from cricket australia and also from the icc to be able to uh, play some international night cricket and uh and so there's certainly opportunity there that we uh we might look at that uh down the track as well so there's still a fair bit to do to finish off the stage two of that development but the the initial uh the initial development has meant that we've we've got a first class facility that's world class and uh comes up sensationally on tv it's a little boutique ground, but it, uh, I think it's going to become a, a really good place for not only for all, all cricket, but certainly uh, any international type women's games and maybe some big bash games that could be played there as well. Hey, Graffy, you played a bit of cricket yourself too, don't forget. Uh, yes. <laughs> you know, played a few uh, one-day internationals with Oz. You played a test match, albeit as 12th man. Yep. Uh, two, of them, two of them, actually. Uh, two of them, all right, okay. Jeez, <laughs> don't get personal. I, I was just generalising <laughs> them. catch a second slip as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and you played in a couple of Shield matches. You're a prominent member of that St. Bede's cricket side, that famous side. Uh, you're, a, you're a pretty good student too, I believe. Did you enjoy school? I don't know about that, Sam. All right, okay, we'll skip that one. Obviously, <laughs> your alma mater wasn't your strength, uh, like a lot of sports people. Uh, tell me, uh, you moved to where you... 81, 83, I think you went to New Hampshire. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, you came back to Western Australia. You hey, played in... New, uh, New Hampshire? Or Hampshire? Yeah, New Hampshire. I, I haven't got a Hampton's house. <laughs> no, Hampshire. Oh, yeah. Hampshire, sorry, New Hampshire, I'm still... I'm a bit confused, my first day back from holidays. Uh, so, 81, I think it was 81 or 83, you went to, uh, you returned to England, then you played for Cornwall, did you not? Yeah, that's right, I played uh, I played down the South Country. Yeah, so the minor played. counties, you played in the minor counties, that must have been on uh, when you were riding the crest of a uh, slump. Uh, <laughs> tell, tell me, uh, your, your shield victories, the one in Western Australia... You know, we become a very good mates with uh, DK Lilly, I believe. Yeah. The great man. The uh, great man. And also you played in the Shield final in, uh, in a winning one with Victoria. 
Yeah, look, I, I was fortunate enough to, uh, when I came into the side uh, in the Victorian squad in 78, I, uh, we won a Shield uh, without a final, so to speak. It was 78, 79, 79, 80. We won two in a row. I was part of the second year one where there was no Shield final, but it just so happened that the last round of the season, the round 10, we were playing South Australia, who were on top, and we were second. And whoever won the game uh, would win the Shield. And uh, But there was a, the intricacies of the point system whereby they had an extra bonus point on, on us. And so we had to somehow play a game where we could get that bonus point and then go for a win. We couldn't afford to have them just play for a draw. And... As it turned out, it was a it was a, a game of cricket that was. Uh, I remember Maxi Walker saying that you know, it was one of the best outside playing test cricket. It was the best game of cricket he played in because uh, the the uh, you know, the, the way that ebbs and flows as the longer form version does do. That's the reason why a lot of uh, the older people who've grown up with test cricket they love it because the fact there's no certainty it can change dramatically within you know 15 minutes. And uh, this particular game, uh, we we uh, we basically. Um, needed to bowl South Australia out on the last day. Uh, they had 246 to win in a day session and uh, and at lunch on the last day um, South Australia were one for 90 uh, so they're cruising uh, Ian Chappell's at the crease with John Inverary two fine players and uh, and I can still remember we went into lunch and uh, we had um, in those days over there you always had some lovely King George Whiting as, as the lunch and, uh, and actually, Mel had a Chardonnay with his lunch, uh, and because uh, he thought he wasn't going to have a hit for the day. Anyway, straight after lunch, well, he wouldn't have gone out after lunch if that was okay. <laughs> straight, straight after lunch, they lost. Uh, we got uh, Jimmy Higgs got uh, Ian Chapel third ball, and then um, I think uh, I got a couple of wickets. And, and next minute, there uh, all, in all sorts of bother, and Matt Mallets had to come out and bat. Because uh, they, they were about eight down, I think, all of a sudden within about an hour after after the lunch break, and uh, he's had to come out bat. So not bad enough the fact that we knew he'd had a little sip of uh, white wine over lunch, but secondly, he'd also gone round the team and got him to autograph his bat, <laughs> so that he'd have that have that as a memento for the winner, yeah. which didn't come along. So you can imagine when he came out to bat with an autograph, autographs on the back of didn't he cop it and, and unfortunately I was able to knock him over for a duck and I can still remember Trevor Lachlan who did like to have a bit of a chat uh, out in the middle um, followed him all the way to the members entrance and opened the, the picket fence gate and let him out of the ground well that is the epitome of optimism isn't it <laughs> having your bat signed before stumps are drawn Hey, the last I heard of Trevor Lachlan, he was running uh, golf clubs up in Queensland. No, that was Coe's. Oh, that's Gary Coe's, 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 yeah. Larry was still in sports stores, and uh, I that's think right. he's still in We won all New Hampshire. won all New Hampshire. I'm glad he made that blunder. Well, who, I would have copped it all well, day. Who, who made the century in his first test match? Cozy, was it? Gary Coe's. Gary Coe's. Yeah, yeah, okay. Now, Grappy, I think it was Steve Waugh who went on record and said that uh, Sean Graff is the all-rounder that Australia needs to have. And I don't know whether there was injury or opportunity in those days because it's very hard to get out of the Australian side once you're in in those days. You never had the avenues of entry like you have today. Uh, why did it go so, so, uh, slightly as, uh, astray? Why didn't you quite submit your place when you had that? Did you have the opportunity, you think, or it didn't quite pan out for you? 
Yeah, look, I, I just think, look, I, that's a strange one. I, I certainly, obviously, must have had the ability to be able to get selected. And in those days, you were, you were the, there was only 12 spots. Like, there was no, you didn't have a, a separate team for one day and a separate team for no. 20 and a test match. So there was only 12 spots and you, tend, you tended to play the 12 that played the test match, played also the one-day team as well. So, um, look, I got in there. Maybe maybe it was a fraction. I'd only played about nine Shield games at that stage. I'd only been in the system for a short period of time. And uh, I was pretty over. You know, when, you, when you're a young kid who previously uh, had been watching the TV and Lily and Thompson and these blokes coming in and terrorising the Poms and they were your heroes, next minute I'm throwing the ball at mid-on at Adelaide Oval in a, in a one-day international to Lily and say, well, bowl, mate, you know, just keep it over the top of off stump. And I'm thinking, so what are you doing? You know, this is ridiculous. So whether it was the fact that I was, you know, maybe not quite ready, I did get a couple of little injuries as well, um, which didn't help, and uh, just went past me. And you know, I just put it down. I just doesn't. I wasn't quite good enough at the time. Uh, I think, in like anyone, as you get a little bit older and wiser, I think I would have done it slightly differently. But that was my chance, and and I didn't take it. And uh, that's that's well and good. You move on, and uh, I was able to you know have a, have a fairly successful short career with both Western Australia and Victoria uh, and then they've come, been able to come back you know, after about 10 years out working in the real world, so to speak, been able to come back into the administrative side and, and I've been quite, I'm very proud of you know, the, the results I've got through there. So even though I didn't quite quite get there, I had the thrill of you know, playing for Australia, especially in the, in the very first series after World Series. So uh, you know, those, uh, those lovely yellow and lime green uh, kit that we wore. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I always tell this story, uh, well, you get a laugh at this, at Adelaide Oval we used to have uh, little little white flowers, you know, those little sort of flower things that used to grow up and, and, uh, and there'd be a lot of bees. And I can still remember feeling a fine leg having to get rid of this bloody bee because it followed me everywhere because it tried to land on me because I thought I was a daisy or something. So uh, Why would but, uh, Leon no, know that? Leon's at the Fitzroy Oval. They used to only grow cactus. <laughs> Not my dad. But, uh, look, it was a good, it was a good, uh, good period of time, and I got to know, uh, you know, a lot of, lot of friends. I'm very good friends with Lillian Marsh, uh, Rod Marsh, Bruce Laird was a great, great bloke, and I, I happened to play in a uh, Shield winning final uh, over there, but also. I was involved uh, with South Perth and we won a flag when I was there the year I was there as well. So I've got some great lifelong friends that I made out of that and uh, out, out of playing for Australia as well. So it was a good time, but I just didn't quite nail it. And that's just one of those things. So uh, did you play for St Kilda? Yep, yep. I played it's 300 degree, yeah. games. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, was uh, Jack Edwards there at that time? Yeah, Coogan was there and Darkey, the two. Uh, yeah, well, uh, Jack uh, Jack getting around the Darkey, uh, the three of us Gordon. are members of Vang Sang, and uh, I don't know whether you know this, uh, Sean, or not, but da- John Darkey Edwards was, a, yep. uh, I think, an inaugural member of Vang Sang. Yeah, I, I reckon he might be, because um, he's great mates with the Count. He was yeah. great mates. And, uh, yeah, method, so yeah. I, I reckon he might. And he was a great, uh, or, or, you know, he'd love to uh, have a very good uh, a chat and a, and a nice red wine. And he, he was very good company, very funny man. Oh, he yeah. Enough, but remember, he, he also managed the Australian team for about three or four he years did. He as did. well. He did, he did. He loved him. And the other great St Kilda uh, fast bowler, Nigel Merch. Merchy. Oh, Nigel, yeah. yes. Nigel. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Now, um, so, uh, yes, St Kilda, uh, 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 well, very successful. You would have won premierships with them. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I played in uh, four premierships. I've come and coached a couple of those and uh, and certainly been involved uh, across a, you know, a long period of time where we've been very, very successful and uh, you know, they're on top this year as well. They're going very well, so it's... Uh, 
it's a very strong club and uh, they've had a hell of a lot of success, you know, and why wouldn't you when you had the conditions, the beautiful ground, the old junction, and uh, and now it's you know, done up superbly and they have access to uh, the ground uh, for a number of games across the season and also some access to the facility, the, the, the training facilities as well. So when when there's cricket there, first-class cricket, they go across the ground to the Harry Trot and they use that and, and the nets over there, but they have a a very good uh, you know, amount of time where they're, they're on the main ground and, and in the main nets. So they're very happy where they are and they've been very successful. And fortunately for me, it was a club that I uh, I chose. I, I trained at a few different clubs at the time. I, you'd like this one, Sam. I actually went and trained at Richmond. I nearly played at Richmond, but I didn't have a clue who this guy, Slope Jordan, was as the coach. Oh, God. <laughs> I the training at Gosh's Paddock one day. I I've what... never heard the language. God, I, I, I grew up in a pub, but I couldn't believe some of the shit that came out of his mouth. I'll tell, tell you what we can thank Slug Jordan for the, the great late Slug Jordan for the introduction of HR companies. So HR, <laughs> they'd never heard of HR Corporate Australia until Slug arrived and all of a sudden human resource became a prominent part, prominent portfolio. Now, uh, whilst we're uh, question without notice, the greatest single districts uh, final which was played at the Albert Oval, Albert Park Oval. Yeah, look, we played at the Albert. We, no, what it was we, the we greatest. Down, we played Richmond and we chased down 427. No, 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 you're missing my point. No, 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 Sean. The greatest yeah. final, I said, not the penultimate final. The greatest oh, final. The Phantom? The Phantom. Bill yeah. Laurie, they went. Bill Laurie stayed there for three days. Versus Essendon. Yeah, they, Versus they, Essendon they, that's there. what he told them. They made a mistake. They declared. Yeah, declared. That's right. Ian <laughs> Monks was captain of <laughs> Essendon. In, in those yeah, no, days. That was a, a great, great grand final and great win. And I think our, our win was chasing 400 odds, the second largest total yeah. to be chased. But the, fan, the only difference uh, was the Phantom took 11 days to win their final. <laughs> yeah, it went, it went across about three Wednesday nights. It went three Wednesday nights. <laughs> <laughs> it did. <laughs> They made a mistake of declaring God. Yeah. Now, whilst we're just, test. Now, I'm just taking a deep breath, but I'm just taking down a, you might have heard of Mitchell Den Wines, have you? Yes, I have, uh, yes, yes. The great Jerry Ryan, we're just having a little sip of our print, one of the great Shirazes of all time. Oh. We've got a couple of bottles here when you come back from Adelaide. Uh, okay. All right, in the interim, they'll be in my boot. Oh, well, for a while, they will be anyway. Now, you mentioned uh, Slug Jordan. Uh, I was doing radio on 3UZ, and Slug used yeah. to come in uh, two or three times a week. And he came in one day, and he's, he said, God, I've been down to training. We've got this bowler down here so called Warren. Can anybody spin the ball? And uh, yeah. so, so that was the start of Shane Warren's uh career if you like so you would have just about be on the end of, uh, of your time when he arrived yeah I was the coach um, I was captain coach at St Kilda when he came down the, he he came down as a 17 year old um, Andrew Lynch Norm Lynch I don't know if you remember Normie yeah. he, uh, his son Andrew was the sports master at uh, Mentone Grammar and um, Warney had got a a cricket scholarship um, uh, and footy scholarship to go to, to go Mentone Grammar and Warney rang me up and said, look, I've got this kid down there. He looks all right. He, he, he opened the batting. He can really bat and he can bowl a bit of leg spin as well. He might be worth having a look at. So that's how, basically, we invited him down and that's how he got there. And he, he started in the in the fourths, the thirds and worked his way through. But he was uh, he was an interesting character. He's always had the confidence. You can see uh, you know, the traits that he's, that's what he is today were, were there very early days as well. He, uh, he was someone who... Uh, would drive in, um, well, initially he had his mum's rover, he used to drive, and then he bought himself a Nissan Pulsar 
I think it was called, and he had mag wheels on it. He had a graphic equaliser and the <laughs> twin extractor glaring as he drove in <laughs> Shaved the, the head. Uh, in the gate. Um, and it's just him. It was just him all over, and uh, and he and he went through the ranks, and you could certainly tell that he's going to be when he got into our first side. I, I, the, the, a short story on him is that generally speaking, when you have a a new player playing any sport but they tend to you know sit back look a bit they're a little bit hesitant they uh they want to see what the lie of the land is and then they they make their, their play so to speak i can still remember uh setting a field for him uh, in his first or second um, grade uh, premier game and uh, i said what field do you want we're playing against paran and julian weiner was the was batting and he just come off a test series in pakistan where he got a 90 and uh anyway what he said oh, i want to I want to put him here here and here and i said are you going to get him out i said i'm just going to set him up i want him to play across the line but i'm not going to show it early and then I'll bowl the flipper. I said, okay. I'm thinking to myself, geez, this is a confident little rooster. You know, he's just going to do all this. But without a word of a lie, I reckon about uh, two overs later, he bowled the leg. He hadn't shown him the flipper. And for those who don't know what a flipper, that's the one that goes straight ahead. And uh, anyway, he left the gap for Julian to play a few balls across the line where he's able to score, so he got used to it. And I, I just kept on saying to him, mate, just set him up, keep setting him up. And then about the third over in, he just set him up. Uh, Wiener went back to hit it through mid-wicket. The ball just skidded on, knocked over his stumps, and I thought to myself, hmm, this kid's okay. He's got he's got some talent. So that was my first time that I realised he was pretty good, but I never expected for him to become what he has. What he now, was. who at St Kilda used to put the seams in the paper and because his name was Hollywood Ward? Yes. Yeah, yeah, he was he was Hollywood when he... Uh, you were fond of knowledge, boy. He got christened that by, that by Trevor Barker, I think, but... Uh, he looked like Hollywood, and when we played Fitzroy, because he's quite a solid rooster, we played Fitzroy, and Johnny Scholes was the coach out there. And I remember him calling me over, we were doing the warm up, and Barrel, they didn't know who this kid was. And he said, Mate, who's Hulk Hogan? Where's he come from? <laughs> like this. So it, it was quite interesting because he was quite large early days, and then he got even larger when I, I organised him to go to England and play in Bristol for a, a season. He came back about oh, three stone heavier after drinking pints for three months. That would have been fun in Bristol. <laughs> that would have been great fun. By the way, it's not Fitzroy. Like everything at Fitzroy, unfortunately, they couldn't quite survive on their own. They became Fitzroy Doncaster. Yes, yes, that's true. Fitzroy Doncaster. Without but uh, they've still got the name there, though, which uh, Leon would be happy with. <laughs> that, that is good. They're that not the Fitzroy good. Lions, aren't they, uh, 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 anymore, unfortunately? No, no. And just finally, uh, for me, uh, Graffy, uh, IPL... Big bash, test cricket, 50-over cricket, cricket saturation, women's one day, women's 0-2, women's 1-3, I don't know. How much cricket can we absorb in this country and is it sustainable and uh, what are the finances like? Yeah, look, I, I think that that's something that's a discussion point all the way along. I think we look at it, uh, cricket looks at it, that it's got so many different sources of income. Uh, they're able to, uh, you know, package together for broadcast and for every, uh, you know, for their sponsors. And so therefore it's, it's a positive. I, I can see it though also where you, you are, you get, you get by fatigue and after a little while you think, God, another game of cricket. But it goes around the world. It's obviously on the closed channels, uh, you know, the pay for view. So you, you, a lot of people don't see it as much on TV as what maybe we do because we might have Fox and KO and these sort of things. I think it, it is, there is a saturation point to a certain degree. Um, it's certainly very difficult from a ministry point of view at times trying to schedule it all it, it's a it's a nightmare from a scheduling point of view and and that's why you do get some farcical situations where some of the Australian players 
are unavailable because of IPL or and, and they don't go on a uh, an Australian tour, the Bangladesh or the West Indies, for example. I just find when that when that crosses the line, I think you've got to have a real close look at how much cricket you're playing and and how you, how you actually treat uh, playing for Australia. And the other problem uh, is, sorry to interrupt I, you. I find that really difficult when I when I see uh, a, a an Australian tour compromise because of the big dollars the players might get somewhere else in the world when they should be representing their country. It's not the, not the players getting the big bucks. It's the calibre of player getting the big bucks, and that's why they've got too much say. It's the yeah. third graders and, you know, uh, peripheral players that are getting paid a squillion to play... Uh, you know, you, just, you definitely don't have to be the best in in Australia. You don't have to be someone that's played for Australia and being the you know on the top no, exactly. dozen players. To say you can be somewhere you know a fair way down the track, but if you've got skills of being able to hit the ball or bowl all these fancy you know all these unique um, changes of pace, yeah. and if you're a spinner, if you've got the ability to maintain your lines, that those sort of guys who won't ever get picked to play for Australia or for their country, they're the ones who are making the big bucks. Go and have your King Whiting in a Chardonnay. See you later. Right, <laughs> <laughs> boys. Uh, Sean, no thanks, thanks for your time <laughs> today, pal. Sean Graff joining us on See Sport and Life. See you, mate. See you, mate. Sean Graff joining us on Sport and Life. And uh, uh, next week, well, we might try for John Wiley, although I did send him a text message um, to congratulate him on his gong. Gong. Because I'd lost his mobile number. But luck, funny enough, he's a, I saw, saw a John Wiley in the golf club that I'm a member of, and I thought oh, it must be John Wiley, so I sent that John Wiley a, a, a note. Now, be careful, because it's not Rusty Wiley who's the singer. <laughs> no, I know Rusty Gary Wiley. Gary Cozier, you made yeah. a couple of blunders. <laughs> Rusty Wiley was uh, associated with Honeydale Golf Club. Was he? Yeah, he used to get down there. God, there you go. Some superfluous information. Now, for those that want to know who Ross D. Wiley was, yeah. tell us his hit song. One, oh, he had one. Let me tell you, Ross D. Wiley sang, It wasn't me that started that old crazy Asian war. Yeah. I just went along and did my patriotic chore. Rise on the wall, don't take him gun. You got the record. I got the record. I should know the words. Don't take your gun to town. Just finish that print there, would you? By the way, why don't you go to New Hampshire? Wouldn't he play in New Hampshire? With the Kennedys. We're a bit rusty first up, wasn't it? This is our first show after Christmas. Surely we'll be. They'll allow us a bit of concession. Thank you, Dad Jones, who yeah. produces the show. And, uh, <laughs> but you're still here, Dan. <laughs> oh, you reckon you'll be doing a bit of editing? <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll talk to you next yeah. week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>